0: Welcome to Vision Scope, a program intended to educate and inform. My name is Wilbert Williams. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Vision Scope. We certainly appreciate your joining us from week to week, and we trust that you find this program not only entertaining but also you get some measure of education and information from it. Today my very special guest comes from the United Kingdom he is a very pleasant person to talk to and um, he has a very interesting story to tell so stay tuned. Vision, 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 a place to listen and learn. Paddy, welcome to Vision Scope. It's a pleasure, Robert. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, let's begin by you telling us a little bit about your early days. Um, were you Were you born blind? I was born with an eye
1: condition called retinopathy of prematurity, which affects babies born prematurely. I was born eight weeks early, and I was just over a 1,000 grams, so pretty small. And uh, ROP is in a condition where the blood vessels are abnormal in the eye, especially around the retina, and this causes leaking and bleeding around the eye leading to retinal scarring and detachment. So I've always been visually impaired all my life, but up until several years ago, I was really effectively in the sighted world, really, because I managed quite well independently, after which I had my lazy left eye removed. So I have a prosthetic right, left eye mm-hmm. and the, the right eye has deteriorated through hemorrhaging, inflammation, and several operations recently in the past three years with high eye pressure. So I've gone through quite a fair bit in my time, really, with the eye. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I'm a wonderful guinea pig for all my consultants because they see these weird and wonderful things in the eye which I've never seen before, Wilbert. So in a way, it's nice to be a specimen, but it's also quite challenging when they can't figure out the complexities, really.
0: Yes. What, tell me, what, how did you manage functioning in a in a sighted world was it that challenge or did it come naturally
1: so when i i was in a blind school for several years then after that i was in mainstream private education i managed quite well with a monocular and didn't really need any independent support really and the same was true in university when i did a degree in biological sciences in genetics and also in my work uh since my visions got worse, it's, it's, it's been challenging having to, 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 to adapt because when you take things for granted in the sighted world and just having to change your way of life in so many ways, it's been challenging but equally quite exciting in a way because I'm always up for a challenge.
0: Yes. What was it like entering the world of work with, with oh, a limitation? It
1: was exciting because for all intents and purposes, I didn't really look visually impaired because I never had a white cane up until several years ago. So the only sign that I had an eye problem was using a a monocular, really. And special adaptations, for example, having my screen closer to me. And it it worked quite well, uh, to be honest to all. But uh, I think for me, it was really important when I went into my different working environments that I've been through, giving out information Uh, rather than taking it in because it's really important uh, for all listeners that if you enter a working environment to be giving employers more information about your needs and wants really especially when your visual impairment isn't easily visible which it may not be for many people.
0: What what sphere of work did you enter? So I started,
1: I did a year in research and development for a pharmaceutical company because I was always fascinated in science and genetics But I found lab work wasn't for me. It was quite challenging with a visual impairment as well because it's very difficult reading uh, small screens. And then I entered uh, an investment bank, which uh, I enjoyed, uh, but uh, I wanted a good work life balance. I then did a master's degree in politics and then joined the the civil service from there, which was uh, really positive because it's nice to join an employer where you're treated. uh, equally and on an inclusive footing as well and they're supportive of your uh, disability.
0: So you have enjoyed working in the civil service for a number of years. How long have you been in the service? It's
1: been 15 years now and it's been exciting Uh, but I've also have quite a few family businesses that I've taken on board so for me I've always enjoyed long working days and through my various operations recently, I've come to realize that you often neglect yourself and your, your visual problems. And uh, for me, it's really important now to get that real work-life balance, especially when I'm having more challenges trying to adapt with a visual disability than I did before.
0: In a previous conversation, you told me about your experiences having come down in COVID-19 and had to go into isolation and all of that. Care to tell us a little bit about that experience?
1: Absolutely Wilbert, so I was already immunosuppressed. I've been on immunosuppressant medication since I had my prosthetic eye several years back. So I was shielding back in March when we entered into lockdown in the UK and I started to get symptoms of uh, fever and uh, difficulty breathing and it was really difficult because it got worse to the point that i had to be rushed into hospital at the height of the pandemic and when as a vip as a visually impaired person you're in such a difficult scenario in hospital when you can't really make eye contact and you can't really project your voice either it's so difficult Uh, it was really challenging for me but uh, i had to give out as much information as i could in that in that environment, when it was challenging for me, and uh, what I did was I came armed with lots of letters from my consultants, which allowed the consultants and the medical staff to find out about my medical history and more importantly the medication that I was on. It was a it was a really traumatic time, really, but I was just so grateful that uh, the medical personnel looked after me with my sight loss in a, in a very positive way in such challenging circumstances, Wilbert.
0: How did you cope with this whole business of social distancing? Because I know that is one of the hardest things for blind people to deal with. What did you cope oh, it's with? Oh, it, it's, it, it's social distancing.
1: is it's, 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 it's new terminology that we've never come across before, have we, Will, but it's so difficult because... When I was in hospital, I was kept different uh, from all the other patients because I was immunosuppressed. And it was hard to keep uh, away from medical personnel. And they made reasonable adjustments looking after me. Since coming out of hospital, I've been lobbying government and national bodies on the impact of social distancing. Because if you're a VIP and you can't see too well, you simply can't judge what is one metre or two metre. And I know Myself and many others are quite anxious about that and uh, I'm in the process of lobbying for clearer guidance on that because we all have to come out of lockdown and enter the new normal society together. But uh, we also need to be mindful of reasonable adjustments for VIPs who simply can't adhere to social distancing. But also, there can be ways that we can circumvent that in a safe manner.
0: What about family and friends? Did you find that... Um, family members and friends kind of shied away from you or they were pretty supportive.
1: They were very supportive. In the in the COVID situation, obviously family members can't be around you in the hospital. And obviously when I've got a sight loss already, I couldn't use my phone. So it was really difficult, Wilbur, to get the information uh from the hospital or from family members to me really but uh, they have been very very supportive but I've also been quite anxious really with having a sight loss because as other listeners may uh, may resonate we are more vulnerable to catching diseases because we are naturally more tactile aren't we all but yeah. we touch things more oh, yeah. and we can't obviously judge social distancing yeah. so I think uh, as, as, as friends and family, and um, that they all realise that uh, it's, it's, it's getting that right balance, going out, uh, but also taking uh, steps to mitigate
0: problems. What would you say was the major challenge um, which you had to confront um, during the COVID experience? Right, well, oh, I think... <sighs> For
1: me, it was in the hospital, giving out the information. I think the, the key problem I had, because I was moving across so many different private rooms because I was immunosuppressed, and I, I was little things like trying to find the facilities and mm-hmm. o- orientating myself around new environments constantly a little bit, which was really challenging because I'm fiercely independent as much as I can be, and I don't want to be reliant on people despite my uh, vision loss. So that was quite challenging, but... I think for me, it was trying to make the medical staff aware of my needs, and, and, and they were very supportive in that. So that, that, was, that was difficult in, in such a high-pressurised environment, uh, navigating and in unfamiliar environments, that I'm sure you and many other listeners can, uh, can resonate with.
0: Did you find that the nurses and the medical staff were overprotective?
1: Some may have been, in a way, because uh, what what I, what I said to them was, can you have a little physical sign just in my uh, room or above my uh, bed, which shows that I have a visual disability? And they had a sign saying uh, blind, which I didn't mind, because it's a simple, effective sign yeah. to show all uh, nurses and medical staff coming into my room that I have a problem. So when they naturally saw that, they, they are... Overprotective because there are misconceptions, aren't there, about sight oh, loss, sorry. and <laughs> sometimes people don't know how to approach that really. So I, you, I think, you're supposed to be fragile. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think uh, I think there was a bit of over overprotectiveness, but in in a good way because they were making reasonable adjustments, for example, to guide me. Uh, when, for example, I had to be washed and bathed. And it was such a difficult period when I spent almost a month in different hospitals. Mm. So uh, I, think, I think it worked quite well looking back. And I'm just grateful to the staff who uh, uh, just just did so much for me as, as, as a VIP coming out of that.
0: Did you ever lose consciousness during your hospitalization?
1: I didn't, Wilbert. I spent uh, two nights in ICU and I did have uh, nasal oxygen and there were times when it was getting on the verge of ventilation mm-hmm. but i was conscious but i was just very drugged up and drowsy and it was very difficult i still get psychological flashbacks from it now because when you can't see too well in such a busy environment world but when there's lots of noises around and obviously patients who are not very well who you, you you can hear them and it's it's, it's very very difficult so uh, uh, but uh I look back from my whole experience, Wilbert, and I see it as a as a positive for me because I I see my life more as a as an opportunity. I see every day as as a new lease of life now and cherish family and the smaller things more really.
0: Yes, you appreciate and, little things that you used to take for granted, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely, Wilbert. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit now about your I know you've been in a lot of activities over the years, but share with us some of the major ones that you have been engaged in um, outside of going in and, you know, having a a hard to hard talk with COVID. What else? What else have you been up to over the years? So,
1: several years ago, when my vision started to get worse, I think maybe some listeners can appreciate this. I went through a denial stage when uh, I thought, my my vision's not, uh, it'll get better tomorrow, and it started to get blurred. And I had a few accidents in London when I was hit, Uh, just by my right eye, by the corner of a double-decker bus in central London and fell on the rail tracks. And that prompted me to undertake uh, white cane training with a mobility instructor. And that took two years of uh, intensive training because I saw it as a psychological barrier. When I used to frown at the blind person in school with the white cane because I thought, I'm not like you. But it was my way really through uh, white cane training to become independent, and now it's just second nature. So I went through two years of intensive training, and through that, that gave me such a new release of life and confidence a little bit that I wanted to give my... Share my skills and uh, support the VI community because I never associated with VIPs until then and so I started to organize Holidays and trips for newly found VI friends that I'd met Mm -hmm. and we organized uh, uh, Activity breaks to the Lake District theater trips, which I've always enjoyed and Nothing quite beats peer-to-peer support does it will but when you get VIPs together magical things happen don't they
0: and we share and
1: we share and we can laugh about things about the silly things that we get up to and you realize you aren't the only person who's uh, talked to a mannequin in the shop and it it really <laughs> supports you <know? laughs> so i've organized quite a few trips over the years and that that culminated in, uh, in a really successful weekend last year was 100 uh, visually impaired people in the hotel where we had great activities like uh, karaoke i love my karaoke but mm-hmm. that was a magical uh, weekend and uh, what I've also been doing is getting more involved in uh, charity. So uh, I was elected to the uh, National Federation of the Blind UK to become a board member by the members mm-hmm. in uh, 2019. And that's really encouraged me, incentivized me to become part of a collective movement to make change with other like-minded people, especially on campaigning matters, but because before my vision got worse, I I was really oblivious to inaccessible streets. So here in the UK and Europe, we have shared spaces Mm -hmm. where the curbs, the the pavements and sidewalks and the crossings are all removed. So cyclists, pedestrians and motorists have to share the same surface, which looks wonderful in practice. But if you've got a sight loss, you can't make eye contact, can you? It's lightning, isn't it? (laughs) It is. So we've been campaigning really successfully on that over the past uh, few years, and there's been a pause on new shared space schemes. And uh, I've been working hard with my colleagues and other members in NFB UK on also uh, cyclists on pavements, which is a new menace, the rise of e-scooters since COVID, which is also very difficult and quite scary for many VIPs as well
0: so what, what, bit, what was what was the, the 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 training like for the hotel staff taking a hundred blind people into a hotel uh must have been quite an experience for the staff how did you prepare them so we had an organizing
1: committee and we, we've been running this weekend for about 45 years it's it's a social weekend and uh i took a lot of planning to logistically organize it and uh, Sight loss awareness, really, with the staff. For example, so we did some reconnaissance trips to the hotel, and did some audio descriptive guides around the hotel. Because when you enter a new, unfamiliar environment, it always helps, doesn't it? Trying to uh, give out as much information as you can beforehand mm. to the group. So, uh, and we had uh, volunteers, sighted volunteers on board. So, the key thing was giving out lots of information to the group. And also to the uh, to the uh, hotel staff, and it, it worked wonderfully well. And uh, I think many many staff, and not just hotels, but any environment that I've been to, are really V.I. aware. They're really keen to help you, as long as you make them aware of the needs and wants, which I think is really important from the outset. Because a lot of people don't really understand disability, or there's misconceptions, aren't there, Wilbert? So true.
0: And you have to I come spend from- time preparing the people that are going to work with you. That's very oh, important. Of course it
1: is, but I, I come from an uh, uh, Indian background, I'm Punjabi, and there is a cultural dis- uh, taboo on disability and sight loss, which others may be able to appreciate from other minority backgrounds Mm. and I've been doing lots of motivational talks on sight loss awareness which I think is something that has really really bolstered me because I've gone through the system but we can still make it better and show to people of other minority communities that there is help and support out there don't suffer in silence with a sight loss uh, because we can all support each other through great support networks and uh, rehabilitation for example So I think the key thing is getting that information out there and raising awareness as well, because we're in a wonderful time now, Wilbur, aren't we? There's so many services and support out there. Uh, It can be so overwhelming. Oh, yes.
0: I mean, I wish I had half of these services when I was a youngster. But I'm I'm glad that, you know, it has happened in my time.
1: That's right. And with technology as well. It's, It's been incredible with the range of apps out there and... Oh, with artificial intelligence coming on board it's it's a really exciting time to be blind and visually impaired in a, in a positive way because it's helped us to realize our potential
0: yes. what tell me if if you could choose two major issues confronting us as blind people, um, what would you say are the two major ones that if we could really transform, you know, those those issues, we would really be miles ahead. Which two would you choose?
1: I think the first would be employment. Here in the UK, I believe around seventy percent of people who are registered with a sight loss aren't in employment, and there are still barriers out there for uh, for many people entering employment. That could be through employers not being aware. So why, I think it's really important to raise awareness. Country, why is it so? In a developing country? I don't know. I think I've been very lucky in my working ex- environments, but I think uh, it's, it, it's, 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 it's a really tricky one. I think it's, it's trying to raise a profile of the needs of, of visually impaired people, really, and, um, and working together collaboratively at a national level which I think really, really helps in that environment because there's great potential amongst our VI number, Wilbert, isn't there? Oh, yes. And it saddens me that we've got so many talented people with, with skills and uh, we, we can do so much. So I think that's, that's one area, employment, which we can collectively work on with our national blind organisations. And I think the other probably would be on technology. As technology moves forward, there's becoming a divide between those who are tech-savvy but and those perhaps who aren't mm. and it's it's it, it took me a while to get familiarized with voiceover but it's second nature but I'm grateful that I can do that but not men not all VIPs can really do that or embrace audio description for example and I think the key thing is trying to reach out to more visually impaired people on technology and uh, and w- w- the power that it does to enhance your
0: lives and technology is expensive, even in developing countries. So can you imagine what it is like in a country like Jamaica? Um, you know, where we we have to watch the pennies. It's probably even yeah. more expensive. Absolutely. I found
1: that uh, since I've become more involved in the VI world, it's a niche market with uh, VI technology, isn't it? And there's not many uh, Organisers in the market, really, but it's always good now to, to shop around, and I think that's a, the great thing about peer to peer support networks. Really, when you can get uh, recommendations from others, because it can be such a minefield when you enter the VR world and you're thrust with so much information, it can be overbearing.
0: You have, you did say earlier that you have done a lot of work with the National Federation of the Blind, UK can you tell us a little bit about the structure of that organization and what 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 really does it do? Is it it a carbon copy of NFB US or is it separate in operations?
1: Interesting you say that because I I joined the National Convention recently for the NFB USA and it's a it's a a wonderful grassroots system there. Mm -hmm. NFB UK has been running for about 70 years since 1947 and it's a, it's a small but very unique organisation, user-led with uh, visually impaired people. So we have a board, which I was elected onto, and we have uh, several branches around the UK. And it's a user-led organisation, largely a campaigning organisation, which is led by by our members on campaigning priorities and collaborating with other national and local organisations and government in order to instigate change and raise awareness on vi matters so it's 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 a very positive organization i think it's got a it's got a real pivotal part to 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 work for the future and we're we're working very hard along with our members to uh, to move it dynamically and progressively forward
0: do you collaborate with rnib in any way we do we do, yes. We work very hard with
1: RNIB. Yes, uh, you, you you used to live in London, didn't you, Wilbert? So yes, So you must be aware I of time
0: in London, um, and, and, and went to school next door to the RNIB headquarters.
1: Right. Yes. Yes. The, the UK system is uh, is it's very fragmented. There's different sight loss organisations. We have national organisations like the RNIB and the NFB, and. Uh, I'm pleased that we are working collabor- collaboratively because obviously now with the, the downturn following COVID, it's going to be very difficult for the charity sector, but there's also opportunities there, Will, but for us to work collaboratively on uh, challenges and uh, possibilities moving forward. So I'm quite excited by it, really.
0: Okay. All right, then we, we've talked a lot about your professional engagement and all and this sort of thing. But I want to know a little bit about party the man. First of all, um most people use a first name and a last name. Why do you like to go by party only?
1: So party is my nickname. I'm a Sikh and my, my, my real name is uh Pardeep. So party's just a Easy name for everyone to remember, I suppose, really. for me. Your real name? Pardeep. P-A-R-D-W-P. Pardeep. That's right.
0: Okay. And that's that's an Indian name?
1: It is. It, it's a Sikh name. So uh, we have a, a middle name, which is Singh, for the men, and Kaur, for the ladies. Uh, I'm very very privileged to be a Sikh because we are... a. Uh, uh, quite a relatively new religion but also very very tolerant and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been really interesting finding out about my culture and uh, that's been good to raise awareness especially in good in our temples about sight loss as well.
0: Yes I'm going to ask you the next question which might sound a little bit um, unnecessary seeing that you're a Sikh. What is your favorite food? Well, <laughs> and you know, you know, I, I must confess, curry jumps to mind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been brought up on uh, authentic uh, Punjabi Indian cuisine, and uh, for the for those that may know the UK, after fish and chips, everyone loves a good curry oh, here, I don't can't they? <laughs> can't get the fish and chips. But I, I, I will. But I, I do like my salmon because it's it's very high in uh, protein and uh, omega. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: And uh, I'm very fond also of uh, tiramisu, which is a wonderful Italian dessert. Yes. Can...
0: What What kind of music do you like? I suppose it would be Indian music primarily.
1: All sorts, yes. But obviously, being a Sikh, I, I do like my Bangra, which is a energetic fusion of music and dance from the uh, folk music from uh, from the Punjab area in India. So uh, I've always enjoyed my Bangra. But I, I, I enjoy all kinds of jazz classical pop 80s music and uh many of my vi friends will know that uh, i'm not averse to doing lots of karaoke <laughs> i'm not a good singer will but but i do it for fun <laughs>
0: you carry your own key <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what would you say um is your favorite book if you could choose just one book what would it be
1: very tricky question because I, I've always loved my travel, but it obviously depends on what uh, environment I'm going into. But I've always enjoyed uh, horror and science fiction, and uh, particularly Stephen King. And audiobooks just revitalized my, my, my life, really getting involved in those. So I recently read uh, a book called 112263, which was a really interesting a book about time paradoxes, and they're very thought provoking and with character development. And uh, so I'd probably suggest that because it's it stuck with me and made me really ponder and think about what could happen if you meddle with time. Mm.
0: Yes. What What is your biggest challenge in life, would you say? Biggest
1: challenge? Right, okay. Well, I think uh, my biggest challenge really has been my sight loss and adapting to it continuously because I'm, not, I'm on lots of strong medication. Uh, but for me, I see it as a uh, an exciting challenge in a way to uh, push the boundaries, which, which is what I've done over the years. Will Um mm-hmm. when my vision got worse, uh, I I overcame that challenge in 2016 by doing a tour ships race from Antwerp to Lisbon, mm-hmm. and it's quite challenging. Being threatened to depend on a sailing boat, I've been mean, brought up on boats and yachts all my life. But being treated equally on, on on an accessible boat with other disabled people and buddies was absolutely fabulous for me because I could overcome my the challenge of my sight loss with an audio compass on board. So I steered the uh, the boat in the busiest shipping lane in the world, in the English Channel, with an audio compass. Uh-huh. It's, it's it's quite remarkable, Wilbert, and experience. and I went up the rigging to the top. Of the uh, the tall ship, I wasn't even often clipped on. To be, I must confess, so that was quite exhilarating. But it showed that I could do it, despite my sight loss. I think that's been my way of um, challenging that by always um, seizing every opportunity to, to to push the boundaries in a way. And I think other listeners may not have sea legs. I think we can all do things because sight loss is frustrating a little bit. But we can channel our frustrations by oh. finding solutions.
0: Oh yes. Um, and, And would you say that people who have sight loss will accomplish more depending on their circumstances? I mean, a lot of the opportunities that came your way might not necessarily come to some other people. If you understand what I'm trying to get at, it depends on your environment. Oh,
1: I, I absolutely agree in that because I've been very lucky that I got involved with some really good, like minded uh, VIPs over the years and often found out about uh, uh, things like audio description at theatres and accessible holidays just through word of mouth. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been very difficult or impossible to find out about this because there's, so, there's an information overload out there, isn't there, Robert? Oh, yes. And, yeah. and I think that, that's, that, that's what's really important, having these national organizations where you can get that information out in, in one point. And uh, through podcasts, for example, the great work that you do, yeah. giving out information on, on the endless possibilities that are out there for VIPs.
0: Oh yes, and you 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 can use the medium to challenge people, because some of, of us, there are some among us who expect that organizations must do everything; they must take you from point A to point B. But somewhere along the line, you have got to get off the train and work the beaten track. Oh, absolutely,
1: uh, because of. When, when, I, when I, my vision started going worse, I thought, how can I navigate independently on trains and planes? And mm-hmm. then I realized how seamless the assistance worked in the UK on the London Underground, for example. Yeah. It's a wonderful turn up and go service, and we take it for granted, but we're so lucky to have these support systems, really, where we are independent in our day to day lives, but we can have that uh, additional support there, really.
0: What has been your most embarrassing moment? Oh, Wilbert, where do I start? How much time do you have?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've done some comical things in my time, uh, sitting on people on trains, talking to mannequins. But, oh, you can get two for the price of one, I suppose. So I've got a prosthetic eye, Wilbert. And when, about six years ago, I remember a time when I was on the London Underground. And you've been on the Underground before, this golden rules of etiquette where you dare not talk to anybody or stare anybody in the face. And I was sitting there minding my own business and I realised that my prosthetic eye started to slip because there was a point it wasn't very, uh, the shape wasn't very good. Hmm. And it happened so suddenly when it popped out of my eye. <laughs> Luckily I caught it, Wilbur, but the lady opposite obviously was utterly mortified. It was an eyeful and she screamed. <laughs> oh no. I bet so I could was eyeless.
0: I beside you after that
1: that 's right, so I had to literally get off at the next stop, and uh, it was really embarrassing, but I can laugh about it now really, but um, it 's one of those things that uh, these misconceptions prosthetic cars are wonderful aren 't they because people don 't know how well they work, really mm. It was deeply embarrassing, but I found that i 'm not the only one to have things like that. There was another incident when I was at uh, International Airport uh, interchanging, and uh, I had had some wonderful sushi, and I was just uh, Trying to find a bin, I thought rather than ask somebody else, uh, I, I found what looked like a bin mm. and I, I pushed my uh, sushi into it. But then I realized to my horror that it wasn't a bin but it was a person. Oh no. And it was utterly mortifying did because. You did a miss. <laughs> I did. And yeah. one of the golden rules I say to other uh, VIPs is don't mistake. Uh, objects for uh, people we we can all laugh about it now, but we've all done these deeply embarrassing things and i'm I'm glad I had my white cane there, which saved me really and uh
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, and also I consider it individual because some people would have been angry, you know. <sighs>
1: Oh yes, and I've had these. Mis- I think these misconceptions of sight loss that I've found, Rob, uh, in the past few years. People often assume that if you've got a white cane, that you can't see at all, and you can't hear. They whisper, yeah. and uh, you know. People often think. I've had some weird comments said to me over the years, and wonderful comments. saying, oh, it must be magical to be blind. And do you know yeah. what? I I see it in a, in a maybe in an educating or comedy way, and I say, one eye's gone past a cell by day, and the other eye's rotting away, and I smile. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's trying to educate people because I think we're very lucky after the 2012 success of the Olympics and Paralympics in London, there's people are much more disability and VI aware, but there's still a long way to go in raising awareness uh, okay. about uh, what
0: what blind people can do. Yes. Okay. What what kind of motivational word would you like to leave with our listeners? You know, bearing in mind that we have listeners all over the world and um, we always invite our guests to leave a motivational word with them. I would say that despite your
1: sight loss, we can make our life whatever we want it to be. Everything and anything is possible. All we have to do is realize that and believe it the solution is up to us.
0: Yes, so true. And um, if if we bear that in mind, we can achieve a great deal despite our limitations.
1: Oh, absolutely. Because I've been really empowered by meeting some extraordinary visually impaired people over the years who have surpassed their visual problems and achieved greatness. And we can all achieve greatness in our own way, can't we, really? And I think it's having that collective movement and uh, that voice where we can all do wonderful things in our own ways, in our own environments.
0: Yes. I want to thank you very much for granting me this interview. I certainly appreciate it. And I look forward to chatting with you in the future.
1: Thank you very much, Wilbert. So keep up the good work on this podcast. You do a, a, an absolutely terrific job. And thank you for having me. I like my music, and uh, that's one thing that's really united and helped me over the years. And I just wanted to end on on a wonderful song that I sing quite often, but I think the words resonate for uh, for visually impaired people because we are a collective movement. And as the, the words of the song go, Wilbert, and we can build this thing together, standing strong forever, The song is Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship.
0: If you have any questions or comments regarding this program, please address them to norwill2 at gmail.com. That is NORWILL number 2 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a happy and productive week. That's it for today. Join me next time when we'll present another in the series, Vision Scope. Music was provided by Rennie Williams, Jr.